This is a weird sermon title, The Zadok Purge. You know a sermon's going to go well when you're purging something. But, <laughs> but this is not your normal church, and we're not here to, to tickle your fancies. We're not here to scratch your ears. We're not, we're not here to just preach what you want to hear, and I think you're okay with that. If you weren't, you probably wouldn't come here. There's plenty of fun churches you can go to. But I, I want to talk about something that messed me up, brought a revelation to me that just broke me down, and I just, I just literally wept. Because on the one hand, it's precious. On the other hand, it's difficult. And on the other hand, I'm wondering, God, what in the world am I going to do with this? And how do we do this? How do we get from point A to, to Z? Because we got to go through the whole alphabet to get there. Um, and it'll take more than a year. But what, I've, what the Lord has laid on me is, is, is one thing is this, that churches in general are totally out of sync with what God wants. That the church today looks nothing like the church Jesus started. In fact, you remember I told you, if I can remember it, that, that it, you know, it started in Jerusalem as a fellowship, and then they moved it to Greece, and it, and it became a philosophy, and then it moved to Rome, and it became an institution. And then from Rome, after the Roman Empire collapsed, it moved to Europe, and it became culture, which is kind of good and kind of bad. Whenever church becomes the culture, you wonder if anyone's really saved. And then it moved to America. And when it got to America, it became a business. And I, and I told you as a business, I remember, remember in the class, a young lady raised her hand and said, when a body, because the church is a body, amen? He said, when a body becomes a business, isn't that prostitution? And I'm afraid idolatry has come into the church. And we have prostituted the body. And instead of being really a bride, well, we're a bride, but we married for the money. Lord, so far they're amen at me. I'm afraid we've married for the money. And here's another thing. Whenever, whenever your sugar daddy doesn't pay up, it's time to go find another sugar daddy. Sometimes if the church doesn't do what I want it to do, because you know it's all about me. And if the church won't give me what I got to have, in other words, when sugar daddy doesn't pay out, then maybe I'll go find another sugar daddy. I've kind of learned over the years when people say, like from this church, people say, well, I'm just not being fed. Here? I mean, I'm not trying to, but the Holy Spirit's feeding us, right? When they say I'm not being fed, can I interpret that? Tongues and interpretation. Here it is. When they say, I'm, I'm not being fed, what they're really saying is, I'm not, have, I'm not getting my way. Listen, there, there's, listen, I know God sends people to different churches. There's times, you know, you move and you just obey the Lord. But if you're moving just because you're not getting your way, come on, you're not a spiritual two-year-old. Well, some are, but... If, if you've only been saved a little while, you're, you're allowed to be a two-year-old. But if you've been saved 30 years, we're tired of changing your diaper. Okay, I'm not even in my introduction yet. Are y'all praying? Let's go to King David. The first thing King David did when he got his third anointing, you know he was anointed three times? He was anointed once to be a king, and, and guess what happened? People tried to kill him. 
Many years later, he gets anointed the second time over Judah. Judah means praise. So he gets anointed in his praise, in his worship. And then a little while later, what, seven years maybe, I forget what it is, but a few years later, he gets his third anointed, and now he's king over all Israel. And the first thing he did, first thing he did was, we got to bring the presence back. I can't be king without the presence. Because I want, you, I want you to get something here. That David wasn't successful. By the way, he's the most successful uh, Israeli king that we've ever had in all the history of Israel. But listen, he wasn't successful because he was anointed. He was successful because he had the presence. The anointing will will give you permission. The anointing will equip you. The anointing will help you and, and promote you and bless you. But it's not the anointing. It's the presence that you need. Mm. So, so David brought the presence in, put it in a tent. And they were really worshiping in two different places. Listen, there's so much in this sermon. I, I'm not deciding what to say. I'm trying to decide what not to say. If I go more than 30 minutes, you'll be okay, right? Okay, okay. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if you understand it, but real quick, they they were really worried. They had the Moses tabernacle on one mountain. They kept it. But then on Mount Zion is where they put the tent. And they took the ark out of Moses' tabernacle and put it in the tent. And some of the priests still did the old the old way of worship in Moses' tabernacle, but there was no presence. And the presence, you know, all the fancy place didn't have the presence, but the tent had the presence. It didn't have all the rituals. It didn't have all the other stuff going on, but it had the presence. Church, if we can be church without all the frills, without all the, all the other trappings of what a church is supposed to be successful, if we, can just, if we just lose all that, who cares? If we just have the presence. Oh, God. You know what he called the tent? He called it the secret place. He didn't call it the secret place because people didn't know where it was. He called it the secret place because they didn't know what it was. They didn't understand it until you got in the tent where they had 24-hour worship. How would you like to worship? How would you like to organize that? 24 hours singing and prophesying around that. And David would say, I just love to sit in the tent. He's the king, but I want to sit in the tent. Oh, my God. When he brought the presence in, he took his kingly robes off and put an ephod on. His wife hated him for it. Yeah, why you despise yourself? Wow, oh, man, you didn't look like a king. You, uh, you know, oh, you're, you're just lewd, running around in an ephod. You need to be dignified. Aren't you glad your pastor's not dignified? Don't leave that too strong. I, I want to have some dignity left. Amen. But and I wish I could go into all the how we did the divisions, the 24 divisions, and, and how they worshiped and how they sang and how he sat there. And he, one of the Psalms, he envied the birds who get to sit up under the tent and, and just sit in the presence of the Lord. But here it is. He assembled all the Levites, right? That was the tribe. That's, that's the priestly tribe. And basically what they did, and I didn't realize this, they, were, they divided the company. There were two kinds of priests. Let's go to this in Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 1. 
Then the man brought me back to, where am I? Yes, outside gate complex of the sanctuary that faces east, but it was shut. It was shut. How many realize sometimes God shuts the door to his presence? Oh, that's another sermon. God spoke to me. This gate is shut, and it's to stay shut. No one is to go through it because God, the God of Israel, has gone through it. There are places we can't go because God's gone there, and, and we don't qualify yet. Oh, just because you're saved. Being forgiven is one thing. Being holy is something else. Preacher, you're not going to preach that. Oh, it gets worse. He is only the prince because he's the prince. The prince is the son of the king. Do we have any sons and daughters here? Okay. Oh, see, there's rabbits everywhere. I, one, of the thing, one of the things that kind of got me over the years is, is why did they call Jesus the son of God? I mean, we kind of get it now, but I wonder what the Jews thought because they caught on right away. Why is he, why didn't he just say, I'm God? He said, I'm the son of God. And he even calls us sons of God. So what is that? What does that mean? Besides the family thing, what it means, what it meant to the Jews in that time was that if you were a son of God, small g, it meant, a pla- it meant that you were in a place of authority. That many times the king's right-hand man or the king's leading generals and so on and so forth, they were called the sons of the king because they had the king's authority. So when, when we talk about Jesus being the son of God, it's not just that he was born in Bethlehem. No, it's, it's, it's that. And it's not just that he's the, you know, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. But it's the son means he has the authority of the father. That's what they understood. That he was just as much God as the father because he had the same authority. And then he calls us sons. It's time we start using that authority. Okay, that rabbit's dead. It's gone. God, God spoke to me. Uh, Lord, please speak again. Only the prince, because he's the prince, may sit there to eat in the presence of God. He prepares a table. He is to enter the gate complex through the porch and leave by the same way. There's a right way into the presence, and there's a way to leave. The man led me through the north gate, because the east gate was for Jesus, for the presence. The man led me through the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked, and oh, the bright glory of God. How many want to see the glory? Filling the temple of God. I fell on my face in worship. The next move of God isn't going to back you up. It's going to lay you flat. God said to me, son of man, get a grip on yourself. Use your eyes, your ears, pay careful attention to everything I tell you about the ordinance of this temple. How many know God has rules for the temple? The ways of all the laws, the ways all the laws work, instructions regarding it, and all the entrances and exits of the sanctuary. Is this too deep? Are you okay? I feel like I've lost half of you already. You know, whenever the sermon's not about you, anyway... Oh, and then I got verse 6. Tell this bunch of rebels, <laughs> this family Israel, they're still family, message of God, the master. No more of these vile obscenities, Israel, dragging irreverent and unrepentant outsiders, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, into my sanctuary feeding them the sacrificial offerings as if it were the food for a neighborhood picnic. 
yeah, this messed me up. And I don't want to preach this. With all your vile obscenities, you've broken trust with me. The solemn covenant I made with you. You haven't taken care of my holy things. How many know some things are holy and we ought to touch not? Jesus. You've hired out the work to foreigners who take, who care nothing for this place, my sanctuary. No irreverent and unrepentant aliens, uncircumcised in heart or flesh, not even the ones who live among Israelites, are to enter my sanctuary. It reminds me of people who put pastors who put people on the platform who aren't even saved. How can how can sinners bring us into the presence? Verse 7, uh, sacrifice, I said for worth food for a neighborhood picnic. With all your vile, you've broken trust. I read that already. Verse 9, the Levites, the Levites, the priests, the pastors, who walked off and left me, along with everyone else, all Israel, who took up with all the no-God idols. We're going to talk about idolatry will pay for everything they did wrong. From now on, they'll do only the menial work in the sanctuary, guard the gates, help out with the temple, temple chores, and also kill the sacrificial animals for the people and serve them. This messed me up. Because they acted as priests to the no-God idols and made my people Israel stumble and fall, I've taken an oath to punish them, decree of God the Master. Yes, they'll pay for what they've done. They've, they're fired from the priesthood. No longer will they come into my presence and take care of my holy things. No more access to the holy place. They'll have to live with what they've done, carry the shame of their vile. And I'm, uh, From now on, their job is to sweep up and run errands. That's it. Now, let me explain what happens here. Idolatry had crept in. And I know none of it, it well, none of us, we're not worshiping any idols. Your job can be, money can be, Facebook can be, that TV show you can't live without. Whatever you love more than him. Whatever you can't give up is an idol. Whatever you can't let go of is an idol. Now the altars are open. You can come. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the priesthood had allowed idols to come in. So what does that mean for today? It means today... And remember, I've been telling you this, that there's been a mass exodus. In fact, we see it in the natural as well. They said this has been, I forget what the statistics were, but this has been the largest migration of people leaving their jobs for other jobs in the history of statistics in America. People are moving, shifting jobs. Some are just, you know, they got so much government money they don't even need to work. So, so they're just moving around all over the place, and we're seeing the same thing in the church. 30%, they say, this is, these, are the, these are the guys who got the statistics. 30% of the church in America is never coming back. They're gone. Some churches are down 50% in their attendance. And I say, that's God. I say I think it's part of the great falling away. I think it's God moving people out who came to church for the wrong reasons. They came for the entertainment, but you know what? I can get that elsewhere. Pastors have been made celebrities. And when the celebrity loses his shine, 
Some people came because they were the center of attention and all of a sudden they're not now. There's so much idolatry in the church. And churches are suffering now. They're hurting. That, that, you know, we're, uh, we're at the point now where God, since COVID started two years ago, God has added 55 new families or singles to the church. 55. We're not down 30%. That's God. That's not a celebrity pastor. I'm not that good looking. <laughs> See, some things don't need an amen. They're just careful, careful. I still have feelings. I still have feelings. And churches, let me just get to it because churches are not doing it the way Jesus told us to do it. We have become what's called, uh, I'm getting all messed up with my notes, but just bear with me. We have become what's called the attractional church. That the job of the church is to attract as many people as you can get. And when you fill the place up, you make provision for some of them to be discipled, and, you know, the ones that want to, there will always be a few <laughs> that want to be discipled and really mean business. It's, it's a funnel approach. Let's just pour as many people into the funnel as we can, and a few will drip out the bottom. Jesus did not use the funnel approach. Jesus did it like this. When Jesus started his ministry, remember, he went to pray all night. Let me tell you, he did not pray for a crowd. He prayed for 12 men. Give me 12 men and I'll win the world. Give me three and a half years with 12 men and in 300 years, the entire Roman Empire had become Christian. Because this is addition, but this is multiplication. Jesus told us, don't just add people, but multiply yourself into other people. Find somebody you can multiply yourself into, and that's how the kingdom grows. Jesus never built a building. He did not preach in one field. Can you imagine? We're going to start a church and we never know from week to week where we're meeting. Next week, Columbus. He just moved around. In fact, they say, theologians think in the three and a half years of his ministry, half of it was spent with the disciples. Only the other half was spent with the people. I'm not saying it's wrong to have crowds. Jesus had crowds. But he had crowds because he had compassion. He had crowds because he wanted to teach them. He had crowds because he wanted to heal them. But he didn't start with crowds. In fact, when, the, when, when he would heal people and people would rise from the dead, he'd say, shh. Now we use every platform we can to announce it. He says, shh. Isn't that weird? This is Jesus wants us to quit just adding names and it's time to disciple. He turned the world upside down, not with a big crowd. He turned the world upside down with 12 men. Most of them were uneducated. Most of them were not, uh, uh, they didn't have any money. I mean, he just, he said, Father, give me 12. And he took a chance because one of them burned him. But you got to call him anyway. Listen, Jesus had compassion on the crowds, but he didn't call the crowds. 
He called 12 men. Pastor, what does that mean for the church? Are we going to get rid of our building? No. I don't think so. I'm not against crowds. But what I'm saying is we've got to get down to where we can actually influence people's lives. And, and we do some of that in services at altar calls and through the preached word. But the best way, some of you think, well, yeah, yeah, our church has small groups for those who want that sort of thing. No, that's the answer. Your home, the restaurant you meet in, Sunday school room, whatever it is, that's where it starts as we duplicate ourselves. Of course, you need to get right first. Don't duplicate your mess. I mean, that's why Jesus spent so much time straightening them out before they duplicated. Are you following me? So here it is. Here's what he said, Zadok priest. Here it is. Some of you that have allowed idols in, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that they weren't priests in any function anymore, but he said from now on, your ministry is just to serve people. Now, again, Jesus did that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when your primary focus is serving people, it becomes, it becomes an idol. And churches all across the country have been trying to find ways to make people happy, trying to find ways to fill their sanctuaries. They have entire... All kinds of seminars you can go to. Here's how you feel. Here's how you attract hundreds of people. There is a way to fill this sanctuary to where you would never have any more room, but you wouldn't like it because Jesus wouldn't be here. So he said, those of you, those of you that brought idols in, you still have a ministry, but it's just to people. But those of you that didn't bring the idols in, I have a ministry for you. Here it is. They'll serve people. I want you to serve me. You see, when you have that mindset, you stop coming to church to get something. When you don't get your way, you're okay. You don't come to church. You don't go away from church disappointed. Well, I, didn't get, I didn't get healed. And that pastor prayed for me. He don't have any power. I, I thought you were supposed to have power. He didn't say your pastors will lay hands. I said, all of us. When you, become, when you get the mindset that I'm coming just to worship, that's it. You'll be surprised what happens when you only come to worship. Everything you were looking for happens anyway. When you put him first, the healing comes. Listen, we got too many. Here's, here's another idolatry. We got too many charismatics and Pentecostals that want the power but not the presence. And we live for the power. And I can't wait. You know, I'm, I'm just not going to that church anymore because I haven't seen anyone healed. And I'm, 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 I, I, I want to have it's, it's kind of like, I hate to admit this, I love power tools. They are so cool. I watch Power Tool commercials. I go to Lowe's. I go through and I go, oh, man. Can you believe this thing does this now? And, and if it wasn't for Gloria, I would have more Power Tools just because they're cool. And, and it's amazing what they can do. And nowadays, what tools I have, 
I have them for one purpose. When somebody comes over to help me work, I have tools for them to use. <laughs> do you have a, yes, I do. But it's brand new, and I don't know how to use it. But it's in good shape. Are you hearing me? We got too many Christians that are in love with the tools that don't even know the tool maker and have never read the manual how to use them. Stop falling in love with the power and the gifts and the, and the healing and the demonstration oh, and all this stuff and just start loving the presence. If you love the presence and read the manual, the tools will just happen. You want to see more signs and wonders? Let's get Jesus in our midst. And not just here on Sunday, but Jesus at home. And Jesus in your car. And Jesus everywhere you go. Listen, this is on you. We need to disciple you to learn how to get in the tent. So God gave me three things we got to do. Number And, and listen, this will develop. I'm not going to preach on this every Sunday, but it will develop over time. But three things. The, and we got to get them in the right order. we got to, first of all, develop and establish the tent. The presence of God is what we seek for before anything else, before even our own healing. We seek the presence of God. I can get through anything. If he's with me. Anything. He can tell me no. And I'm okay. As long as he's with me. I just want him with me. Moses said don't send us anywhere. Unless you go with us. Shut up. Hey. Oh I feel the Lord in this place. Thank you Lord. I'm actually to the point where I don't care if you don't like this message. The prophet in me wants to burn you and the pastor wants to just love you. The tent. And the second thing we got to build is the table. Once we establish a tent... Then we establish a table. What am I talking about? The Last Supper, Jesus meeting with his disciples, washing their feet, eating his body, drinking his blood. I'm talking about becoming family. And when I say family, I don't mean the stereotypical nice. Whenever someone doesn't like something about the church, I thought they were family. No, we're just acting like you're family. Where did family get romanticized? Like, oh, the church is a family. I don't know many families that that they're even functional. I'm talking about your extended family. We've all got that uncle. Oh, come on, church. When I say family, I don't mean some perfect idealized, we're all just Google-eye over each other. I'm talking about that we're committed relationally. You know, your daughter, your son, they can go out into the world, they can do things, but you still love them. You're committed to them. You'll stand by them. Amen. You ever see, you ever see one of these mothers, and you got a serial killer, and the mother comes on and says, he's really a good boy. Mothers see things no one else can see. I mean, no one. I'm not saying we put up with stuff. I'm saying we can see the good in people. We can love people. We, we, can, be, we can be family. In other words, we're connected whether we like it or not. We can have a potluck dinner and some weird pot comes and we still love them. You can tell a lot about people when you have a potluck, amen. Oh, I can tell some stories. How many still with me? How many still with me? We go from the tent to the table. 
to the turf. Now we got to walk it out. We got to stand in the middle of the world and preach the gospel. Just read the book of Ephesians. The first thing the book of Ephesians talks about is how to sit. In the middle of the book of Ephesians, it talks about how to walk. And then at the end of the book of Ephesians, it teaches us how to stand. And it's time to sit in his presence, walk amongst the disciples, and stand in the world and be the body of Christ. Can I, can I share? You, you still here? Nobody has left. It's a God thing. Yeah. In the early church, they did not have building. I preached this before, but real quick. They didn't have a building until 300 A.D. They didn't meet in buildings. They didn't build buildings. They met in homes for 300 years. And those were the best 300 years of the church. Now, this one to really get you. They didn't have a Republican president. <gasps> How did they survive? The persecution. <gasps> yeah, they didn't even have a Democrat. They had Adolf Hitler. Nero was the president. He literally would take Christians and put them on a stake like a shish kebab, pour oil on them, and burn them to light the streets of Rome. You think you got it hard. But those were the glory days. Listen, be careful what you pray for. Because some of us, oh, I wish we were like the early church. Well, it does exist on the earth. And you can go and you can be a part of it. It's called China. Go worship God in Iran. That's where the church is exploding and it's illegal. And if they catch you, they pull you in prison. But that's where it's growing. And here in America, with all our freedoms, we're dying. It's because we don't put the presence first. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 28 is a commandment. A commandment that we're supposed to make, not believers, make what? Disciples. Teaching them. We can't even get people to come to Sunday school. Teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a great falling away. Instead of attraction and addition, we need minister and multiply. We need to be the Zadok priests whose only job is to minister unto the Lord. Listen, I'm not suggesting we don't minister to people. I'm just saying we first minister unto the Lord. And it's not like ministering to people is some small thing. It's not. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm trying to prioritize it. That if we don't minister unto the Lord, we are perverting the gospel and bringing idols into the church. But how many churches have made the presence of God the center? People have attended some of these churches for 20, 30 years and have never, never experienced the presence of God. That little nostalgia when they sang one of their grandma songs. I'm not talking about nostalgia. I'm not talking about a cool feel. I'm talking about the presence. Most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You experience that at home. You gotta have a tent, church. You need to get with some other people, and 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 if you if you've been Christian for a while, you need to start duplicating yourself. You need to get a group together and start start doing this. And and the most important thing you can do in that group is allow the presence. Just get hungry for the presence. Oh Lord. Can I give you some word? 
Real quick, Psalms 27, verse 4 through 6. Watch what Dave, one, one thing, say one thing. I've desired of the Lord, that will I, that I may in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold, I'm talking about the tent, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing, say one thing. Psalms 25, verse 14. David, again, the secret place. 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who we've lost it. And he will show them his covenant. Psalms 31, verse 19. says, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who which you have, you know, we've put too much emphasis on Jesus is my friend. Well, he is, but Jesus himself said, my friends are those who obey me. There's that. Which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them. In the secret, how many want to get hid? In the secret, all oh, the devil's attacking me. That's because you're out there. You need to get hid. Well, he'll still attack, but he's got to deal with Big Brother then. Woo. Oh, there's so many servants here. In the secret place of your presence, from from the plots of men, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Wow, what a tent that is. Psalms 91. Y'all know Psalms 91. He who abides in the, of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say the Lord, he is my Refuge in my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Come on, do I need to go on? This is good. Come on. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Amen. From the pet, from the COVID. Aren't you thankful not one person in Journey Life Center has died from COVID? Doesn't that have to be God? He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall, you shall what? Take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Let's go on a little bit farther. Amen. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pest, nor the COVID that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. How about another verse? Uh, uh, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. How many got it? Psalm 16 and 11. I'm talking about the secret place. I'm talking about that tent where David would rather be in the tent than the throne room. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Let me say that again. He'd rather be sitting in the tent than rule from the throne room. Church, church is not about control anymore. It's about the presence of the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you realize it, but when you go to college, they teach you how to control your. Listen, when Adam, when Adam was in the garden, when Adam was in the garden, God told him to name the animals, not tame them. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. You got it? I got one got it. You shall show me the path of life in your. Come on, come on. Is fullness of. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasure, presence comes before power. Are you with me? There's a purge going on in the church world. God is saying if all you, if all you want to do is bless the people and you just want to make people happy, fine. Just make that's your church. Go do your thing. But I'm not going to be there. <laughs> 
you got to have him first. I really don't have time to get into this, but Esther, for such a time, and, and you got to get something here because it's something we, we, we gloss over. The king, the king said, I want every virgin to come. That meant usually it was just the daughters of rich and wealthy people, right? He said, I want all the virgins to have a shot at this. That meant, when, can you imagine the motley crew? <laughs> I mean, they've been working in the field all day, and some, some guy rides up on a horse. You a virgin? Come with me. Good time to lie. <laughs> are you, are, are you, are you, you got another minute? Good, because I'm going to take five. Okay, here we go. Every virgin. Esther was one of those virgins. Her parents had been killed. They're gone. She's an orphan. Listen, these virgins came in out of the fields. They smelled bad. They only had one, one thing of clothes, and they were nasty. Their teeth weren't right. Their hair was gnarled and hadn't had a bath, and, well, let it go. Back then, even kings bathed once a month, so there's that. There was, Jews were different, but anyway. All these virgins, and listen, they had to be, they had to go through a process of one year, six months of myrrh. Myrrh is, remember Jesus, they gave him myrrh at, at his death, and he got myrrh at his birth. And myrrh does a lot of things. It's a medicine. It's, it's used in incense. It's used as, as something that smells good, and it heals, okay? And for six months, they would be in myrrh. Um, I forget the other one offhand, but another six months. So one year, in, in, they would just be bathed in spices. You know, that's not a bad life. Why? Because they had to be fit for the king. But anybody could qualify. Paul says we all run, but only one wins. And by the one, he means the body of Christ. Who's going to win? Remember I told you last week, it's not about just going to heaven. It's about well done, thou good. Uh, how, how many, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many, that sermon messed you up. <laughs> I heard so much after church. That, that, uh, I'm glad it messed you up. You pay me well to mess you up. It's my main job. Watch this. For a solid year, they wore the best clothes. They actually soaked in all these spices. I mean, I mean they smelled good. After a year, and they wore the finest jewels. And, and remember, everything was provided by the king. I got some good news for you. Sometimes we beat ourselves up and say, oh, I'll never, you know, what pastor's talking about. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I'm not ready for that. Listen, I don't care what field you came out of. I'm here to tell you, you can be that virgin if you'll just let God. Hmm. If you'll just soak in his presence, it might take a year. But if you'll just spend time in his presence, myrrh, myrrh was used to, uh, to alleviate suffering. It's related to suffering. You have to go through some things, you got, but you got the myrrh, amen. And he wants us to just bathe. Don't ask for a thing. He'll provide everything you need. He'll provide the white gown. He'll provide the crown. He'll provide the smelly salts. He'll, pro he'll provide everything you need. Church, I'm just, I don't know how many I can get to. I don't know how many. I can't go that way. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many of you want to just circle around the rim. I don't know. I'll never reach all of you.
But in the coming years, we're thankful for the crowd. But in the coming years, we're going to focus on those that are willing to be purged, willing to soak, willing to spend time in his presence at home, at work, in the car, in the marketplace, in the house. And you're willing to soak. And as God uses you and blesses you, he'll spread you out and you'll start multiplying. You won't just bring someone to church, which is good. You'll start influencing lives where you live. People will come to church, and instead of saying, this is my friend, you're going to say, this guy got saved at work and came to church with me. Wouldn't it be great if we don't even need altar calls? We're just a place where people get in the funnel. Is this making sense? Jesus had crowds until he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. We're out of here. I came for healing. I came because I heard he multiplies bread, real free bread. Sign me up. Free fish. And that, that stuff was fresh. There's a lot of people come to church because of what they can get out of it. And we're not going to fuss at them for that, but they have got to get the revelation that we start on this end. We start by allowing ourselves, allowing Jesus to be multiplied in us. You know, if Jesus needed to spend a whole night praying for those 12, and by the way, when you look at the 12, you wonder if he shouldn't have prayed another night. I mean, there's Peter, and, 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 and not just the 12, but didn't he spend a lot more time with the three? Yeah. I know I could preach this for you. I can keep you all afternoon. I promise to let you out before the snow falls, which is like 7 o'clock. I don't know. Stand. Come on, stand. 